fantastic. Awesome. Great job. This is New Life from Randall University. Give them a big hand, man. Hey, Rocky. How are you, man? God bless you. Good to have you in the Lord's house today. It, it is a good thing to be in God's house with God's people, worshiping our mighty God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So welcome to Gavinaw Church. If you haven't gotten a coffee, too bad. You can get one after service is over with, I guess. We're glad that you're here. If you're a guest, first-time guest, please take one of those guest cards you see in the chair back in front of you, fill it out, and after the service, you can take it to the Connect counter. We have a gift for you. You're in for a treat today. Uh, God has already blessed in the first service, and I know he's going to do the same thing in our second service as well. So stand with me. Let's pray and give this hour to the Lord and continue to worship him. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. I pray a blessing on this service. Dear Lord, bless new life as they lead us in worship. I pray a blessing on Brother Mason as he preaches the Word of God. May Jesus be exalted today, and may we in humble obedience follow our Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn around and say hi to five people, would you? Okay, that's good enough. Stop, stop it, stop it. Y'all sit down just for a second, would you? Uh, in the first service, Brother Bob Thompson, president of Randall University, preached. Uh, second service, Mason is going to, but Brother Bob is here to bring us greetings from Randall University. Bob was associate pastor and youth minister of Kavanaugh back in the early 80s. If you were here under Bob's ministry, raise your hand. Let me see. There's only a couple in here yeah, that no. remember that. Several more in the first service. Here, here's the thing about Bob. Bob is the only human that is still alive today who has preached in all of our locations. In every building that Kavanaugh's been in, beginning at Holly Street, Bob has preached in all of them. Isn't that great? Give Bob a big hand for being the Iron Man preacher that he is. The other thing about Bob that is so good is his wife, Carol, is here. Carol, will you stand? Carol is such a lovely, great president's wife. God bless you, Carol. Thanks for being here. Bob, bring us greetings. Thank you. It is good to be back at Kavanaugh. Let me also introduce our uh, academic officer, our chief uh, academic dean, Dr. Brent Sykes. Would you please stand? Mason and Dr. Sykes and I are going to Nashville at this service for a leadership conference. If you know Mason, he's in control and I won't get to drive or make any decisions. Uh, not that I mind, but at some point I will pull out. I do pay your salary or sign your check and maybe he'll stop and let me get a Diet Coke, hopefully. I am president of Randall University. It's been a privilege to have this position uh, to lead our college in the direction that I think God has intended it for it to go. And I appreciate the students who participate and are part of this day who travel. Uh, they're about gone every weekend, and we did a service last night and a, two this morning, and I appreciate their faithfulness to share their talent and the good news of the songs that they sing about Jesus Christ and what he can do in our lives and our heart. Uh, when I, uh, let, let me just say to Kavanaugh, you have been so faithful as a supporter of Randall University. We could not do what we do without you. You are, in giving to Randall, a participant in this. 
So what we do at Randall is because you've been faithful to give or you have been fervent in your prayers or you have volunteered to help us. There's some projects on campus that Capital has come to our campus and worked a week and helped us. And we are indebted to you for that. We do every year an audit. In the audit, there's one of the things that come out of an audit, if you're kind of in that financial world, is a composite score. The highest composite score you can have is a three. And we've had a three for the last two or three years. What that means in the financial world, you're a good investment. So when you do an audit of a company and it has a high composite score, that's, that's a good investment. And so I would say financially, we're a good investment. But we're not a good investment because of the financial arena of our school because of our stewardship. We are a good investment because you are investing in the life of students. Uh, I'm indebted to Kavanaugh because I graduated in 1974 with a Bachelor of Theology. I was in the top six of my class. There's only six of us, but I was top six, okay? <laughs> you have been a part of that ministry. You have helped your staff by giving to Randall to receive their degrees from Randall. You're helping these students accomplish that. You're making an impact, you're making a difference, you're making a good investment. And when you invest in the lives of others, you are making a difference in the world. And so let's continue to be reminded of our responsibility to invest so that God's work can continue on. It's like the Christmas deal that you're doing for the uh, home missionary students. And they're, they're, you're investing in their lives. You're impacting them, you're making it. They, they're gonna find out that there's a church in Fort Smith, Arkansas, that they know nothing about, that cares about them. And their students at Randall will never know about Kavanaugh, never know about Fort Smith, Arkansas, but will have made a difference because you invest in their life. And so we commend you for your investment. Thank you for what you're doing. If we can help, let us know. And thank you for allowing us to be here today. Brother Will, thank you for opening up your stage, your pulpit, giving Mason and I the privilege to preach to this church today. And I am proud about the fact that I'm a part of the Kavanaugh family. My favorite church is Poto because that's where I saved. Kavanaugh's adopted me. When I'm here, you're my favorite church. When I'm at Poto, they're my favorite church. Thank you. All right. Thank you guys again for having us. As Bob said, we are New Life from Randall University, and we're going to start off with some intros. If you did not get one of our informational cards, there are some on the welcome counter outside. My name is Katie Burke. I'm from Sevierville, Tennessee. I'm a freshman at Randall University, and I'm studying psychology. Hi, my name is Aiden Taylor. I'm from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, I'm a freshman at Randall, and I'm studying music, music ministries. Hi, my name is Diana Correa. I'm a freshman. I'm studying missions. And What's up, guys? My name is Rocky. I'm a freshman. I'm 18. Uh, I study um, music ministries. And, uh, yeah. I'm Jonas Vickers. I'm from Wichita, Kansas. I'm a junior, and I'm studying uh, secondary education social studies. Hello, my name is Jacob Robertson. I've realized in the past two services that we've done, this morning and last night, I've lied to you all. I've been saying I'm 18 years old. I'm not. I'm 19 years old. I keep forgetting I just had a birthday. Just had a birthday. <laughs> yeah, just had a birthday. But, yeah. Uh, anyways, I'm a freshman at Randall University, and I'm studying worship ministries. Um, we are just so glad to be here worshiping with you all this morning. And we're about to sing a Christmas song for you guys. And we hope that you will worship along with us as we sing about the birth of Christ. And I have a verse here that talks about the importance of that. And it's John 1:14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
and we saw his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because of the birth of Jesus Christ, we have hope. So, as we sing this next song about us, about his birth, let's think about that hope that we have this morning.
believe that the dead came to life. I believe there were wonders and signs, and you're still the same. your goodness is good without it and you'll never change I will tell of your wonders sing of your grace the God of creation he knows me by name the Lord is faithful yesterday Oh, yeah. 
age after age and all generations will bow down and praise the Lord is faithful yesterday now and always Amen um, This next song is about um, thanking Jesus for his blood and uh, I had I had to read a couple of verses because this is something that's very important to me and something that I really enjoy talking about because um, when you think about what it means um, that Jesus gave us his blood, it's, uh, it's atonement, uh, it's forgiveness, it's that it means that whatever we've done in the past, whatever, he died for every sin that is, will ever be, and has ever been committed. So um, one of the verses that came to mind was First um, Peter 1.19 and it says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So we are healed. Um, and it's just as it says, it's without blemish, without spot. It's perfect. His blood is a gift that we have been given when he died on the cross. Um, and through that, we are forgiven, amen? So just think about that while we sing this next song.
our hearts, God, and remind us that it's your blood that saves us. It's your blood that washes us clean from our iniquities, God. And I pray that you would always help us to keep this in mind as we spread the gospel and as we fulfill the great commission, God. We love you so much, and we pray that you bless the servants. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. New Life Singers, give them a hand, would you? Diana. 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 Miss Diana, I'm chasing you, Diana. Come here. Do, do, do y'all realize who this is? This, this is Pastor Jose's daughter from Puerto Rico, our very own Diana. Give her a big hand. Love you, girl. You did great. Fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah, New Life was fantastic, weren't they? Man, what a blessing. They, they need to be recorded. Bob, y'all need to record used to do albums a long time ago. They need to be recorded. So let's make that happen. Let's make that happen, Kavanaugh, because they're that good. They are good. I'd love to have a tape of theirs. Well, first service, Brother Bob preached. Second service, we have our very own Mason Polk who is going to preach. And Corinda is here somewhere. Where are you at, Corinda? Over there. Where, where are you? Well, stand up, Corinda. Y'all give Corinda a big hand. Corinda's one of ours as well. Love Corinda and we love Mason. Of course, Mason grew up here at Kavanaugh Church. Uh, he, I just asked him when he was born. I thought he was 97, but it's actually December of 1996. I came in 97. So literally, except for the first couple of months of his life, I have watched this guy grow up. And I am super proud of Brother Mason Polk. You know, it, it is good to be able to have just a little bit of influence on a person's life. And I think everybody in this church has influenced Brother Mason to make him into the man of God that he is today. And he is such a treasure in the kingdom of God, and we still claim Mason as our own. Amen? I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if Mason ever gave up his keys to this church. But when, when he was, no lie, when he was six years old, Johnny gave him the keys and he would come early and unlock everything for Brother Johnny. Sometimes I would get here, I'm the first one here on Sunday mornings, and Mason would already be here. His dad would have him out in the truck and he would be dressed just like he is right now, except he wore a tie back then. <laughs> We're glad Mason's here, aren't we, church? And uh, you can give him a big hand, yes you can. He's my brother in the Lord, and I'm going to pray for him right before he preaches. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Mason and Corinda. I pray a blessing on their life, their ministry, and their home. Would you just empower him right now by the Holy Spirit? 
And as he speaks on the outside, would you please speak into our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother Will. Good to be home with you this morning. Uh, Boy, it sure is uncomfortable when people talk about you, isn't it? But what Brother Will is saying is so true. Uh, Cannot uh, say in words how much this church has meant to me and the people of the church, and especially our staff, and they've poured into me, and I appreciate them so much. I told first service as I was looking around this morning, and I was able to see a lot of familiar faces. Now, there's a lot of faces now that are not familiar. I have, I've been gone since 2015, but, uh, but as I was looking at those that I did know, it reminded me of the other faces who we used to be able to see here, the great men and women of this church who were leaders for so many years, and a lot of them, have we've lost them since then, uh, but they're not lost because we know exactly where they are. And so because of that, I'm, I'm, I find hope this morning yeah, because you can't beat the people of Kavanaugh Church. I'm in a lot of churches, and there is no place like Kavanaugh Church. And, and I just appreciate you so much and appreciate uh, the support that you've given to me and also to Randall University over the years. And it's so good to be here with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Micah in chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. As you're turning there, let me just say that throughout the Old Testament, we find several specific details of Jesus' birth that are foretold by different prophets like Isaiah or Micah or Hosea and others. And all of these prophecies were given hundreds of years before they were fulfilled. The fact that each of these prophecies were fulfilled exactly the way that they were prophesied in the Bible, it's just simply amazing, isn't it? To go back and to see these prophecies and see how they were fulfilled, it simply discards coincidence. It is no coincidence at all, but it was by design from God Almighty. One Christian scientist applied the modern science of probability to just eight of these different prophecies from the Old Testament being fulfilled in the New Testament. And he came to the conclusion that the chance that any man might have fulfilled all eight of these prophecies is one in ten to the seventh degree. Now that probably doesn't mean much to you unless you know what that means already. Maybe you're a math teacher or something like that. I had to look that up. One in ten to the seventh degree. And I've asked Devin to put this number on the screen for us today. This is the number right here. Now that's a big number. I'll save you the trouble. That's 17 zeros behind that one. One in ten to the seventh degree. Degree. Really what that is is one in 100 quadrillion. That is the probability of one man fulfilling just eight of the prophecies about the birth of Jesus. This scientist, he went on to illustrate his point by saying that if you took silver dollars, which you don't see those very often now, but if you took silver dollars and you put them end to end all across the state of Texas, Brother Will, the great state of Texas, if you covered the entire state of Texas with silver dollars, it would all be stacked up two feet deep. That's what this number is. Today I want us to look here at one of these prophecies that points to the coming Messiah. This one that's found in Micah chapter 5. Micah was written in the year 700 B.C. or around then. That means it was 700 years before the birth of Christ. Let me just tell you what's currently going on here in the scene where Micah finds himself. Currently, the people of Israel are being overwhelmed by the Assyrians. And so because of this, the people, they're currently in a state of helplessness, humiliation, 
loneliness. In fact, there are many of these Israelites who appear, it appears to them that they have been abandoned completely by God. Perhaps they were going around from day to day asking questions like, hey, does anyone know what's going on here? Is anyone in control of this big operation? Does anyone know or understand what we are going through? I find it so interesting that this was the mindset of God's people 700 years before the birth of Christ. And then here we are, 2,000 years removed, 2,000 years after the birth of Christ, and oftentimes we find ourselves asking the very same type of questions. And so Micah, he's coming on the scene during this tumultuous time, and he reveals to the people, hey, listen to me, here is what God is going to do for you, for us, for the entire world. And I want to read to you here this morning the first five verses from Micah chapter 5. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And this one shall be peace. You know, when I read that prophecy, I clearly see a piece of good news and a piece of bad news. Which one do you want first this morning? I'll tell you what, the good news is that Micah was sharing with the people that God was going to intervene. And he was going to do something that would catch everyone off guard. And that's exactly what the bad news was. You see, he was going to do something, but it was going to be something that came in a very unexpected way. And even those who were mindfully waiting and carefully watching, it was going to catch them off guard. This morning, I want us to dissect this prophecy here in Micah chapter 5. And as we do, I want to find three peculiarities within it. And the first one that we find right off the bat is, number one, an unlikely place. Micah is speaking about an unlikely place. If you take your minds with me to Matthew chapter 2, you can remember the story when the wise men come before King Herod. And they come and they ask him, where is the new king of the Jews? And in verse 3 it tells us, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And so he goes on to call all the chief priests and, and the teachers of the law together, and he asks him where the Messiah was to be born. And guess what? They retrieved their answer from right here out of Micah chapter 5, especially taking from verse 2. And so they go on in Matthew chapter 2 to inform King Herod, this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now often I think it's because we don't fully understand the geographical or the historical implications of this prophecy that causes us to not fully realize the shock factor 
for God to select Bethlehem to be the birthplace of the Messiah. With a population of around 300 people at the time, and sitting just six miles south of Jerusalem, the people had to be questioning why God would choose such a small and insignificant place for the Messiah to be born, when there was a much larger and more prestigious place so close by. To be blunt, I think the people of the day would have quickly classified Bethlehem as being too small to do something so great. As I read Micah chapter 5, I think that sometimes we have a tendency to do the same thing. Whether we're sizing up ourselves or our jobs or our church or our family, etc. Let us never confuse size with significance. They are not the same. Especially when we as Christians, we are reminded that God likes to use the unlikely to do his works. Think about the young shepherd boy who he used to slay the giant. Or the beautiful young orphan girl to become queen and save the nation of Israel from complete distinction. Think about that young boy who had a sack lunch and it was used to feed the multitude. Or this morning maybe we think about the seemingly unknown virgin girl who God chose to become the earthly mother of God incarnate. And how does he come? In the form of a little bitty baby. And where is he born? In the bump in the road town of Bethlehem. I don't know, but maybe God chose Bethlehem to remind us today that he is God, just as we've just sung about moments ago. He is God, and he can make much out of little. Maybe God chose this unlikely place because it represented a very important symbolism that Jesus himself personified. Specifically, when we find that the meaning of the word Bethlehem is house of bread. Beth meaning house and lahem meaning of bread. It is the house of bread. Different kinds of bread were a staple in the ancient diet. They ate it every single day. Think with me back to the Israelites and their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And what did God provide for them? Bread. Manna from above. Because of that, it became used often in their worship practices. And it symbolized to them both God's presence and His provision. And skipping ahead to John chapter 6 we find the fulfillment of this connection between Jesus and this unlikely place when he boldly proclaims, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me, they will never be thirsty. Amen? On that time, it made no sense to the people. Here they were waiting on the Messiah to appear, and they didn't think to look for him in Bethlehem. But that's exactly where he was prophesied to show up. And why? Well, that's exactly the place that God chose for his son to enter into this world. Not only did it serve as a reminder that God can use small and insignificant things in mighty ways, but I believe it also served to foretell the reason for Jesus' arrival in the first place. May we be reminded this morning that he came to be the bread of life for us. 
But as if this unlikely place wasn't odd enough, we also find a second peculiarity found here in Micah's prophecy. First, an unlikely place, but secondly, there's an unusual plan here. Look with me here to Micah chapter 5, verse 3. It says, Therefore, he shall give them up. Now, some of your translations this morning might use the word abandon. Therefore, he has abandoned them until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. I read that this morning. I'm going to ask you, what in the world does that mean? That sounds like a prophecy, doesn't it? What does that mean? Well, living in the world of immediacy that we do, I think that this plan right here is the textbook definition of unusual. You see, we get mad when the drive through line at McDonald's gets backed up. We get a little anxious or angry when the person at the stoplight, they wait too long after it turns green, don't we? We're fast-paced people. But here is the nation of Israel, and they are enduring some serious suffering. And what does Micah say is God's plan to fix things? Well, he says that God is going to give them up. He's going to take his hands off the wheel. He's going to take a hiatus from this situation until some nameless woman has given birth to a baby. In other words, boys, if you think it's bad now, you just wait because it's about to get worse. And little do they know, but this wasn't some nine-month waiting period like that of the normal birth cycle. But this was going to be a 700-year period of continued wondering and waiting on God to intervene in the mess that they had found themselves in. You see, God was going to give them up. He was going to let them lay in the bed that they had made for themselves. In theological terms, we would say that the Israelites were about to feel the wrath of God. The wrath of God. You see, the Old Testament prophets, they spoke often about the wrath of God. It wasn't just this one time that they experienced this, but these prophets, they explain that the wrath of God could be seen in things like the nation of Israel losing battles or going through these natural disasters, or or at times where they were held in captivity by other nations. And that is exactly what Micah was saying here. That the Israelites were going to be held captive by the Assyrians. This morning, in what I hope are clear terms, I hope that we will see that the wrath of God is the inevitable punishment of sin. That is what the wrath of God is. It is the inevitable punishment of our sin. Sin, no matter how big or how small we may deem it to be, listen to me this morning, it breaks God's heart every time. And today we live in a world that is a whole lot more like the world that the people in Micah's day were living in than maybe what we might think. We're not as different as what we might think. But you see, today we live in a world who is aware that there is a God. And some people say they don't believe, but when push comes to shove, most of the time they would assent to the thought that there is some type of God, some type of higher being. Not only that, but we live in a world today full of people who know a lot of things about this God. And we also live in a world today that's full of people who consistently choose their own will 
above God's will. Consistently choose to live according to their own desires instead of the desires of God. And so because of this, we see that the words of the Apostle Paul found at the end of Romans chapter 1 still ring true today. Crystal clear. And I want to read to you today verses 21 through 32. And I'll just tell you, this is a little longer of a passage than what I would normally read in a sermon. But here's why I'm going to read the whole thing. Because it all goes together. And you can't break it up. And you're going to see several times in here, three times specifically, where Paul is using the same exact language that we find Micah using all those years before. So I'm going to read this. I want you to pay attention. It'll be on the screen as well. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but because futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. It's this idea that they were making God into idols. It was this idolatry going on. Verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness. In the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26 For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they were pushing him away. They didn't want God in their mind. Well, God gave them over to a debased mind. To do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, Unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Church, the Bible tells us that there is nothing new under the sun. And I just want to speak very honestly to you today. That the sins that our world deals with today, they are not new. This is not some new invention. This is not some new phase or fad that we're having to deal with that's going to go away. But these are things that have been here all the way from the Garden of Eden and moving forward. 
It is the same. And because of our free will, listen to me, God, He doesn't force us to be little robots that have to obey His every command. That's not what He does. But instead, each person individually gets to choose whether or not they will submit themselves to His will, to His design, to His watch care over us, and to His plan for our lives. You look at the nation of Israel, and what you find is that time and time again, they made the wrong choice. And so the result was that they had to experience the wrath of God. And here they are again. They found themselves in the same unwanted place, all due to their sin. And this time, God says through the prophet Micah that he's going to be giving them up until a very specific time in the future. It's a time when a woman in labor has given birth, is what he says. I love that because any times we read prophecy in the Bible, a lot of times we look back, we find that hindsight is 2020, isn't it? And so this morning, we know that the woman that Micah was referring to, it was Mary. And the birth that needed so desperately to take place, it was the birth of Jesus right there in the unlikely place that was Bethlehem. And this right here was the unusual plan that God has set forth. And this wonderful plan is what would also lead to a final peculiarity Got an unlikely place, an unusual plan, but praise God this morning. We find in this passage a universal promise. A universal promise. I want to read to you again, starting in verse 3, going to the end of Micah chapter 5, verse 5. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. You know, after reading this passage, I'm I'm reminded today that God's wrath, listen to me, God's wrath is not his act of judging man. Now, that's what we think it is sometimes, but listen to me very carefully. God's wrath is not his act of judging man, but rather, it is the act of man bringing judgment on himself. The tables are turned. When we choose to sin, and I'm saying the word choose, when we choose to sin, whether it be infrequent or whether it be constant, We are also choosing to distance ourselves from God. I hope that you're hearing me this morning. Giving us up to our sin is not what God wants to do. Please do not leave here today thinking that that's what this prophecy is about. But really, it's what we seem to be requesting for Him to do when we decide to choose our sin instead of choosing him. Make no mistake, what God wants more than anything else for his creation is for them to live in relationship with him. 
God desperately wants for his people to be recipients of this promise that's being laid out here in Micah chapter 5, to be members of the flock, to be fed by the shepherd, and our shepherd is Jesus Christ, to abide with him. Boy, I love those words, don't you? That's what he wants. And to experience the peace that can only come from the Prince of Peace himself. Church, that is what God wants for us. And why? Well, because he truly loves us. The very act of him sending his son, the very thing that we're celebrating this month and that we should celebrate every day of our lives, it's proving his love for us. And these things right here, these promises, are the exact thing that some of us here today need desperately as well. I think that the promises found here in Micah chapter 5 most likely resonate differently all across this room today. By that I mean that there are people here today and you're hearing this promise and, and you're being reminded of God's love for you. You're being reminded that Christ can bring you peace. And that's good. It's a good reminder for us this morning. But I fully believe that there are others in this room this morning right now who are hearing this promise of Jesus being our peace, and immediately you feel it right here in your heart. And you know that that is exactly what you need today. It's not just a reminder, but it's a need for you. You need it today. Perhaps things in your family, or at work, or school, or maybe just internally within you. Maybe they are far far away from being described as peaceful. Perhaps this morning, you're coming to realize that the chaos that is your life is really at the root of it all due to some sin in your life. And if that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to come to the altar this morning. You can do it in your seat. It doesn't matter. If you're watching anywhere online today, you can do it exactly right there where you're at. But I want to invite you this morning to ask Jesus to forgive you of that sin. I want to invite you to ask Jesus today to help you to begin looking to God, to guide and to direct your life, instead of always just trying to do those things yourself. I love the passage in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you're here this morning and and you've already been saved. I hope that's the case for you. You've already accepted Jesus as your Savior at some point in your life, but still, you need that promised cleansing found there in those verses. You need to be strengthened in your faith. You need uh, to be strengthened in your reliance on the Lord. Like Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, I hope that all of us can say today, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we read Micah chapter 5, we see that in the midst of Micah's foretelling of death, and destruction, listen to me, God encouraged his people by offering the hope 
of a Savior and the promise of peace. He used an unlikely place and an unusual plan to bring about a universal promise that all of us in this room today, we need it. And so in light of these things this morning, perhaps an appropriate prayer for us can actually be found in the old Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. That song was written from the words here out of Micah chapter 5. And verse 4 says this, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, O Lord Emmanuel. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to pray. Katie's going to play. And we invite you to come to these altars this morning, no matter what it is going on in your life today. The Lord cares about you. Our God, He wants the best for you in your life. And He's made a way for that to take place. But it first starts with us being humble and obedient to Him. And so, Jesus, this morning, I I just ask, Lord, that you would use your holy word to remind us today that you can use small things to do great things. Jesus, today our, our mind is on Christmas, and Lord, would you remind us how you came as a little baby to make a way for us to deal with the sins that so easily ensnare us. You made a way for us to be reconciled to the Father. And Jesus, you came to become the only source of peace for our weary hearts and our wayward soul. Lord, if there's one here today who's been searching for peace in something or someone outside of you, Lord, I pray that today they would realize that that won't work, but that you have a plan for their lives and that you can offer them the peace that they need. And Lord, may we as a church body today respond appropriately to your word. As we give you this time, we ask that you would use it in a way as only you can. And we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Won't you come this morning? Let's use these altars to draw ourselves closer to the Lord as we worship him.
Lord, I'm praying for the one in this room whose soul is troubled. Who's been searching for something that would make sense in their life. I pray that today they would find Jesus. That they would have that peace that passes all understanding. Lord, you're the only one who can give it. But we've got to ask you for it. So I pray for my friends in this room who need Jesus in their life. May they turn to you today and receive the peace of God. I thank you so much, dear Lord, for this hour of worship and praise and for the great message that we've heard from that Old Testament prophet. Fill this room with your peace. Fill our life with peace that passes understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Would y'all give Mason a big hand? Boy, that was fantastic. Mm-mm-mm. I want to thank New Life for being here today. They're going to end our service with a song as you're dismissed. I want to thank uh, Brother Bob and Sister Carol for coming today. Red, thank you for being here as well. Thanks, Mason and Corinda, for ministering to us also. When you walk out of the room, make sure you put your offering in one of those black boxes. Also, this is really kind of the last Sunday before Adopt a Missionary Kid uh, really starts. Next Sunday, we're going to have some missionaries with us, some church planters, home missionaries, who are going to be bringing their children here, and we're going to spoil the fire out of them. Uh, This Christmas season, we have adopted 46 kids whose parents are home missionaries, and we will provide Christmas for them as well as 30 children from Puerto Rico. That's going to be fantastic as well. For $350, you can supply Christmas gifts for one of these kids. I don't know, Sherry, do we have the uh, thermometer up there to show our people how much we've raised so far? We've had a goal of, I think, $30,000. I want to show you where we are as of this morning. There it is. You've already given $28,749. That ain't bad. We need to finish this up today, so please give liberally. You can write on your check AAM, which is Adopt a Missionary. This afternoon at 2 o'clock, there's going to be a baby shower for this girl named Whitney. Are you ready to have that baby? We are, we are ready for little Jules to come. So ladies, you're invited to that shower. It's going to be in room 209, 210. When you walked in there on your chair, you saw one of those leaflets about our We Worship sign up. We need more adults to help in We Worship for 2023. Uh, As we leave today, let's do so with glad hearts, with peace in our soul, and with a smile on our face. Would you stand up and give these guys another big hand? You bet. And here's the deal, you can, you can either go ahead and leave or stay in here and listen to them sing. I'm going to listen to them sing. Let's go. Let's do it.
Lord is good. His kindness is forever. His faithfulness will endure. He'll never leave, no, never. No, none can satisfy. Nobody like my Lord. Every need he will supply. And my heart he will restore. Calling all the saints and sinners. It's the song of the redeemed. Everybody sing, everybody sing. 